Father, we ask for your blessing on what trials and suffering and temptations, all these things that are part of the Christian life, we pray that you would bring us understanding, that we would not be without the wisdom that is necessary in this life so that it might better prepare us for the next. And we know that during trials and temptations and the troubles that we go through, we need a boatload of patience. And we ask that you would build that up in us, Lord. And build it up in us for not just for our sake, but for the sake of those who are around us, those who are trying to influence for the kingdom. We thank you for the chance to study your word. May you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so why do we suffer? Why is there suffering in the world if God is a God of love? Are Christians called to suffer? Where do temptations come from? Why do we have trials in our lives? Why can't things go smoothly for us? Why do we experience so much hardship in this life? And especially in this current day, it seems like the world is turning away from Christianity. And by the way, it is my firm personal opinion that if the powers that be succeed in getting rid of the influences of Christianity in this country, this country will cease to exist as it was founded. It'll be a completely different country. So this idea of trials that are out there, uh, first of all, I brought this up in the youth group. Some people have an objection because there are so many trials, there's so much evil, there's so much wrong that is in the world. How can there be a God, especially a loving God, a righteous God, a caring God with so much suffering? Anybody want to take a shot at that besides the youth? I mean, somebody came up, that's the number one objection for people believing in God. And by the way, uh, the people who believe in God have dropped in this country in the last 10 years, 8%. It was 73%. And now, oh, maybe it's more than that. I think it went down to 72%. No, 73% down to 62 or 63% of people who now say that they believe that there is a God, which means... The Christian church is losing influence, and one of their main objections is there's so much evil. How would you respond to that if somebody comes up and says, I don't believe in a God because there's too much evil? What would you say? What's that, Nancy? You don't know? By the way, that's good, but... uh, they're not going to believe the Bible if they don't believe in God. So you have to make an argument outside of the Bible to help convince them that there is a God. What's that? Free will. Yes, but explain it to me. How is it that there's free will, but there's also evil? How do the two come together how can they be parallel since you have evil you have free will since you have free will you have evil if there is a god wouldn't he override our free will in order to vanquish evil be forced 
So you mean to tell me that God allows all this evil? How many people do you think will be convinced by that? Okay. Anybody else want to take a shot? See, these are the things we're supposed to contemplate. How, how can we reach somebody that doesn't know about the goodness of God and his kindness and his generosity towards us and how he provides for us when we see so much that is wrong? Well, it kind of goes like this. If there is evil in the world, what do you know also exists if there is evil? Good, right. How do you know a line is crooked? That's right. So you have to have straight. If there is bad, you have to have good. And so the person who says there is so much evil, they are acknowledging, it is very much implied, it is almost explicit that there is good. If there is good, there must be some type of standard for which good exists that you can point to and say, well, here is the ultimate good. These are the things that are good. And you can get into a discussion about moral absolutes, but you would say, for instance, it's good not to murder. It's bad to murder. And they would probably agree with you on that. Then you would say, well, if there is a moral good, there must, it, you can codify it. You say there's a moral code or a moral law. If there's a moral law, laws do not spontaneously generate. If there's a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. If there is a moral law giver, you would call that individual God. But they already object to there being a God. There can't be a God. So if there is not a God, there is no good. There is no moral code, moral law. If there is no moral law, there is no good. If there is no good, there is no evil. What was the original objection? You see how that goes around? They're saying there's so much evil that there can't be good. And you just said, wait a second. There is good. There is God. He gives a moral code. If there is no moral God, if there is no moral code, if there is no good, there is no evil. If there is no evil, what was the original question anyhow? And you see it, when they argue like that, they don't know what they're arguing for. In order to know that something is bad, you have to know what is good. And that's what the person would be referring to. Now, there is suffering in the world, and since there is a good God, and I just demonstrated that to you, if there is a good God, why all the evil and why all the suffering in this world? First of all, how are we to deal with the suffering? Let's not get to the nitty-gritty of why do we suffer, but how do we get to the nuts and bolts of how we're to encounter it? What should we do when we encounter a trial? Well, the first one there on your list is we're to consider it pure joy. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <clears throat> now this is, the word is antithetical to the world. The world would say, you're nuts if you think you're going to have joy in the midst of a trial. It doesn't mean happiness. Happiness is based on what happens. 
joy is you realize why you're here. You realize what you're going through. You realize you're under the fall. You realize that Adam and Eve blew it, and therefore because they blew it, sin came to all because all have sinned, Bible says, and we're all condemned. And so knowing that, that there's a redemptive plan at the end, we're to just have this attitude of joy, which is rooted in a deep kind of peace that we don't have to worry or fret. And that is the opposite of joy, worrying and fretting. Secondly, we're supposed to know that trials are for our benefit. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in the sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And so know that therefore our benefit. Uh, I need to ask you something. Is that on your list? Okay, I was looking at the wrong heading. All right. <coughs> so also First Peter chapter 1 verse 7 says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may prove genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed and so the trials that we go through are for our benefit it's just like the refining fire it's just like the tempering of steel those trials make us stronger they help us to endure what we need to now in our country and i've said this many times in our country we don't suffer like in other countries where they are currently being slaughtered. The Christians are being slaughtered. And on that Sunday night, several Sunday nights that are coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about human trafficking, and I want to encourage you guys to go to that. But they are definitely for our benefit as Christians, and God will use it in order to benefit not only his glory, but also the people who are here currently. So temptations. First of all, that's trials. Consider it pure joy and know that they are for our benefit. Then there are temptations. All kinds of enticements, these lures that are forbidden, a lure for appetite, lure for riches, like people who want to get rich in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, fall into great temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. All you have to do is go to some of the casinos to see that, that there are people who think that they can get rich, that they can beat the odds. And in doing so, they fall into many, many trials. There's also the lure of women for men. There's the lure for ambition. Uh, And these temptations will come and they will test us. Now, I don't believe that any one of us will be successful 100% of the time at battling against temptation. So we have to understand the rules concerning temptation, like where are they from? Well, they are from, on your first one there, they're from Satan. That's the first place that they come from. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, when it comes to couples, it says, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And we know that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness three times. It's recorded for us in the Gospels. And so Satan is the master tempter. Now, when you're being tempted by Satan, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's Satan himself. It can be a fallen angel or a demon that could come along and give you that temptation, place it right before you, and then you have to choose. 
but this also tells us, the second one there is, temptation does not come from God. James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So he doesn't entice you to temptation. God is not a capricious God where he just changes his mind instantly and he'll put something before you to uh, corrupt you. That's not part of God's character at all. So God does not tempt us at all. Uh, Thirdly, other men and women can tempt us. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Bad company corrupts good morals. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. <clears throat> when you guys were in elementary school, can you think of an example of where you were tempted by one of your friends to do something wrong? I pushed Chris Davis into the girls' bathroom and held it shut. I was tempted by my own fleshly desires to do that. I was tempted by Chester Reed to fill up a sandwich baggie full of sand and huck it over the fence in somebody's yard. And I got called by Mrs. Lane, the yard lady over there with her bullhorn. She called me over and asked me what I was doing. Things like that. You guys have things like that you did as a little kid? You know, pulling pigtails or... Uh, How about uh, some of you guys? Did you ever pant somebody in school? (laughs) How you like that? You pant somebody, huh? Everybody knows what that means, right? Okay. It's, It's just plain evil. You wouldn't want somebody to do those kinds of things to you. Well, as you get a little older, were you tempted to take drugs? Did your friends get around you and say, oh, come on, no one's going to know. Just, or like alcohol, oh, come on, just take a drink. You can do that. And that temptation was right there. And you probably didn't quite make it. But they, these temptations can come from other men and from other women. Fourthly, we, are allow, we allow ourselves to be tempted by our own desires. So, so far we have Satan. We know it doesn't come from God. We have other men and women, and we have ourselves. We tempt ourselves. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself is not tempted by anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so if you are tempted to eat chocolate and you are a diabetic, where do you not want to be? In seized candy, right? You don't want to go into seized candy. You don't want to do that. If you're tempted to drink, where do you not want to be? In a liquor store, right? If you're tempted to get high on drugs, which concerts should you avoid? You know, you shouldn't go down to the latest heavy metal concert and just kind of mosey around down there because chances are somebody's going to try to sell you some drugs. It's not going to be a good thing. So this temptation comes from everywhere. Have you ever been in a store and been tempted 
to steal something, where it just comes into your head, like you can just take it and just put it in there and just walk away. Just go ahead. It's, it's all right. Have you ever been tempted to do that? You know, I think we all have at some point been tempted. Now, not all of us have fallen to those particular temptations, but it's our own desires that well up within us that we decide we're going to fall to the temptation. And this lust, it, it can be a sexual lust, it can be a lust that you have just a strong desire, and that's what the word lust means. You just have a strong desire. You need to have it. It has to be yours. kind of like when you're really thirsty and all you want is a cold cup of water. And you're, it's getting to be such a strong desire that you're pushing everybody out of the way just to get to your cup of water. So that's what the word lust there means. Also, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. In other words, there are those people who will tempt you, but they tempt you by enticing your lusts, your strong desires. And so we see those first four things there. Number five, we are to pray that God would allow us to avoid temptation. Uh, this is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Matthew chapter 6 verse 11 or 13 and Luke chapter 11 verse 4. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Luke chapter 22 verse 40. On reaching the place, he said to them, perhaps that you will not fall in, or pray that you will not fall into temptation. A temptation to do that which is not right, something that is wrong. Uh, six, there, we are to be observant and recognize temptation. We're to call it what it is. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, as Jesus was speaking to his disciples, before his crucifixion. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And that's what happens when you fall to temptation. <clears throat> you see it right there and you say to yourself, no, I shouldn't do that. And your body says, go ahead. Just, yeah, just reach for it. Just go ahead. Just come on. It's going to be all right. Nobody's going to know. It's going to be just fine. And then as soon as you partake of whatever the temptation is what's the next thing that overwhelms you guilt that guilt you just go oh no and some people would say conviction conviction of the spirit and also of your own spirit you know what's right and wrong and you are after the instant gratification whatever that was and you know you're tempted at uh, supermarkets all the time where are you tempted at supermarkets? At the checkout. That's the place that they put the high dollar items like the gum and the candy bars and the magazines and all of those things so that as you're waiting there, you have a chance to focus on all of those individual items. And your hand is right at that level 
And it, it's so close, you can just feel your hand gravitating. Oh, yeah, I'll take a couple of packs of M&Ms. And you just throw them right there, and you know you shouldn't have the M&Ms. Or the magazine, oh, I need to find out the latest gossip. Oh, look who's on the cover. I got to get this. You know, you have to open it up, and you have to read it. And then you get that gossip in your mind and everything that's going on. And so uh, we need to be able to recognize the temptation and call it what it is. I mean, if you're standing before the temptation and you say, this is a temptation, that's half the battle right there is recognizing what it is. And then the other half is run, run, Joseph, run. Remember how Joseph ran when he was tempted? And I believe he was tempted. Seven, others have already experienced and fallen to the same temptations that we experience. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And so this deals with temptation. This doesn't deal with trials. You can experience a trial that is too great that ruins you. Uh, to give you an example, and they, they would be extreme trials more than likely. Uh, a death of a spouse, a uh, death of a spouse and all of your children in a car accident. That would be over the top. Most people could not endure something like that. A death of a child. Uh, many parents who have experienced that, it can just wreck the heart. The Lord can do miraculous healing on the heart, the psychological aspects that we have, but the trials, we can get trials that are so severe that we're never able to get out from underneath them, like uh, PTSD. Uh, soldiers who come back, some of the soldiers never get out from underneath that because it's such a horrible experience for them. And in those cases, you know, we don't show up and Give them Romans 8.28. Don't worry, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, you're to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, and rejoice with those who rejoice. But as far as temptation is concerned, God will provide for us a way out, and especially knowing that others have been tempted in the same way. Jesus was tempted in every way that we have been tempted, and yet he has overcome. Now this idea of suffering why do we experience suffering personally? <clears throat> Number one, so that we may comfort others when we suffer. And this may seem to be a secondary or tertiary reason why we would experience suffering, but God wants us to know this is one of the primary reasons. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are, dis if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. Uh, let me bring this more down to earth if you go through a trial like for instance you've lost a job I, I, my daughter talked to my wife about uh, somebody today 
somebody she went to the high school with. Uh, she was just diagnosed with cancer. How many kids do they have? Two small children. <clears throat> it's terminal, right? She has six months to live. And the husband just lost his job, and they're being evicted. <laughs> now, how is this going to work for their benefit for someone else in the future? And you think, I personally go, I don't know. I have no idea how this is going to inure to somebody else's benefit when this father goes through this, and he's going to be left with these two little children and he's going to raise these kids, and he's just gotten evicted, and his wife is going to die within six months. First, what do you say to a person like that? You weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And you do whatever you are able personally to do. Uh, but at some point in the future, if the, and I don't know if these people are believers, if they are, at some point in the future, if this woman is not healed and she succumbs and the father is put through this massive trial, one day, if his faith, if he has a faith in God, his faith will make him, allow him to endure and he'll be able to share that with somebody else who goes through a tragedy. That's why uh, the world comes up with support groups. Because they bring people together that have experienced the same thing and they say, I've gone through that as well. This has happened to me and this is how I've gotten out. Somebody who just loses a job, I can't tell you how many times in my Christian walk where somebody comes up and they say, you know, we've lost this job. I can remember the first time I heard about this, that the home fellowship leader's wife, somebody was just completely stressed. This woman was, her husband lost a job, she lost a job, there's no work in the household and uh, faith of the the uh, home fellowship leader just said, you know what? I know God has a plan for you. Within two weeks, I'm sure you're going to have a job. And it's understood that you just go out there and you pound the pavement. And you get and Sure enough, two weeks later, she came in, had a praise report, said God had provided her a job. It's such a great job. It's even better than the job she had before. And it's all good. And so the home fellowship leader's wife, who had experienced that to some degree, was able to share that with this woman who was worried about the household being provided for, and now she is going to be able to tell the story, and this was decades ago. Now I'm sure she's told several people that same story about how this is transpiring. You guys know Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth who is going to Bible college uh, every single semester. She hasn't had the money. And I said, don't worry about it. If God wants you to go, you're going to have the money. And also Nate, who she knows, uh, he wanted to... I forget which semester. I don't know if it was this last semester. He's going to Bible college as well. He didn't have the money to go to Bible college. Final, I think it was the final time. And so he started talking to this guy who was a Catholic who didn't have the same sense, theologically speaking, about who Jesus was being God. And, and Nate tried to straighten him out and, and let him know who God was. And after a while, I don't know if it was the same day or a different day, this guy came up and said, you know, I think uh, God wants me to help support you as you go to Bible college. He goes, I'm going to write you $1,000. And so uh, Nate went away and he goes, you know, God, if, um, if he's going to write me $1,000, I need 3000 Could you just convince him to write $3,000? And when the guy showed up to write him a check, he goes, you know, God's just telling me to write a check for you for $3,000. And he wrote him a check for $3,000, and he went to Bible college. 
you know, and, and so you see these acts of faith and these people, they're built. The faith is built up tremendously, but it's a trial for them. It's like, where is God going to provide this? There's no one in sight who will provide this money for me. And they just ask and God provides. And it comes out of a quarter in their life that they have no idea will provide what they're asking for because it's God's will. Remember, if you ask anything in God's name, in the name of Jesus, you can be assured that you have it if you do not waver in your faith. And so these are tremendous trials that everyone will go through to some degree, uh, some very difficult trials, but we're supposed to keep our heads in these situations and remember what's going on so we will have the ability to share with others and give the same comfort that we received when we go through them. Secondly, it may be God's purpose for us and it may be his purpose that we suffer. And I just quoted to you Romans 8:28, and we know that all things work for good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. It may be God's purpose that we actually go through a trial, that we um, lose the ability to use our limbs. Uh, you guys know Johnny Erickson Tata? Some of you do. She's in a wheelchair. Uh, she is a quadriplegic. Uh, she lost the use of uh, her limbs. I think it was in a diving accident. And uh, was it a diving accident? Yeah, it was a diving accident. And she never thought she would marry. She ended up getting married. She didn't know what she was going to do. She ended up becoming a great pencil artist with her mouth. She has a pencil. She puts it in her mouth and she draws these fantastic, uh, almost not quite photographic quality, but you look at that and you go, somebody drew that with their mouth? And she has spoken around the world. Her testimony is tremendous. And she calls her wheelchair her crown. And that's what, you know, she's looking forward to heaven, but right now she says, if God hadn't have put me or allowed me to fall into this particular state, she would not have been used the same way. And so she looked at it in a positive sense rather than becoming bitter, and God has used her as a result of this. So it may be God's purpose for us. Thirdly, these sufferings may come to keep us humble. You know that the Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in his flesh and he asked the Lord to take it away three times. Now, Paul was the one who had the gift of healing. He rose people from the dead, right? But he couldn't heal his own body. And God said his grace is sufficient for him. And he knows the reason he got it was to keep him humble, to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations it was given to him this thorn in his flesh. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it talks about that. Fourth, so that God may be glorified. In John chapter 9, verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And so we may have these infirmities, we may have these trials, these sufferings that we go through so that God will be lifted up in the midst of the trial. And I can hardly think of the explanation to give to somebody when they're going through a tremendous trial and say, I I don't say to them, God's going to be glorified through this. 
Because not always is he glorified. Because the person's heart, his, their heart turns dark. It turns to, how can there be a God if there's so much evil? And I already gave you the explanation for that, but this idea that there's so many terrible things, they just turn away from God and they harden their hearts at that point. But if they allow God, if they turn to God and they're humble before Him, God will give them some clarity, hopefully, by the end of their life. And even if He doesn't, we're supposed to trust that God is faithful. We see the stories all the way through Scripture where He has been faithful. I told you once before in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is... um, taken place over 30 years there's a lot of miracles in the book of acts do you guys know how many there's 30 chapters there are 30 miracles over 30 years you get one a year now if you only had one miracle a year (laughs) what you be saying could we have a couple more you know, I, I just want a couple. And that's where God was forming the church. And he, he only gave them one miracle a year that's recorded in the book of Acts. Now, there are probably many more than that. But for us, the book of Acts is, wow, just 30 miracles? That's not very many. And so what if you get one every 20 years? Is that going to be sufficient for you? You know, God may be glorified if we allow him to be glorified in our lives, even though we're suffering. Also, we can suffer because it's our own fault. We're stupid in that way. Number five, we reap what we sow. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 17. Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? In other words, you can be so foolish that you end up suffering so much that you end up dying. There are some drugs, I think I talked about this last year. There are some drugs, and I forget the name of the drug, but it's most, there's this one town, this one village in Russia, where these, pap- these people have taken this drug, and like they've shot it up in their arms, and their flesh melts off of the bone, and the bones are exposed. It actually just decays the skin and if, if you, I forget the name of the drug, but if you look it up, it is just a horrible, horrible drug. And once these guys take it, they're hooked and, and it just gets worse and worse and these infections sink in and these people die. And they're just being like any of us can be. They're just being really foolish. They're being really stupid. They're taking this drug, but they're just looking for the next high. And so we will reap what we sow. There are some terrible, terrible things that are out there going on as far as the drugs are concerned and just the lifestyle that that encompasses and people fall to it and they will not repent of it. I have known people, people that I have employed before that have been so brain fried on drugs that it has affected their personalities. It has affected their demeanors. They have changed radically. Uh, Sometimes they are incoherent. Sometimes they have outbursts of emotions. Uh, Sometimes they are obstinate as a result. They don't reason correctly. And they, they have acted foolishly. And that is where God says, you're going to reap what you sow. Uh, do not be deceived in this area. We need to be careful 
not to reap something to the flesh because we will reap destruction. Sixth, we can endure suffering because we are being disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father? Have you ever been so sick that you've turned to God and say, God, if you just heal me, I will, and you can fill in the blank. I've heard that one, I can't tell you how many times I have heard that one, that people will make a deal with God. If you just take this away, the suffering that I'm going through, then I will do whatever you want. I will go to the ends of the earth. And as I have seen this played out, uh, the times that people have told me this, and then what they end up doing, it does not match up. They bargain with God, and then they don't live up to their end of the deal, whatever they promise them. And so you want to be careful not to negotiate with God. Now, if you're being disciplined, uh, as a child... Hopefully you got disciplined by your parents. When you did, did you learn? Now, most kids learn. There's that um, pain factor that comes in. Has anybody in here never stuck something into a wall socket? One, there's two wise, three wise people in here. You don't know what happens when you stick something into a wall socket? Uh, yeah, and by experience, you know, I, I've done it, and uh, I, I didn't have to think twice about doing it again unless it was a plug that was made for it. You, you learn by that pain factor, and God sometimes will inflict pain upon us in order to get us to learn, that we kind of wake up like, what am I doing? You know, oh, this is so dumb. This is so stupid on my part. Have you ever seen those... Um, Fail videos? That's just... There's also this thing called the Darwin Awards. You guys know what that is? That uh, there'll be a video of somebody doing something that is just not too bright. And it is recommended that their genes are removed from the human gene pool. That they don't reproduce. And these things are called the Darwin Awards. You know... uh, One of the classics is some guy has some alcohol in his mouth and he thinks he's going to light it on fire with a a match or with a stick that's on fire and so he breathes it out of his mouth and it comes out this flaming torch and everybody goes, ooh, until he stops and then his face starts on fire and he starts, he still has some in his mouth and he's trying to get rid of the face on fire and people are slapping him to do that. I once explained, not me, but I experienced this at somebody's house and it was like the um, New Year's Eve and they were going to take what was called a flaming eddy. I forget what alcohol is in there, but it's a shot glass with the flame on top. And he had a beard on and he had already had a couple of them and I watched this and he took it and because he was a little inebriated, He threw it into his mouth and missed partially his mouth. And it went on to his beard. And he didn't know it, that it was on his beard. 
And so his father was right there. He was of age and his father was right there. And his father had had a few too many. I'm just watching in amazement. The father reaches over and starts slapping his face to try to put out the fire on his beard. And what does he do? He puts up the fisticuffs and starts going back at his father. And his face is on fire. I'm going to... This would have made me money on the internet if it would have been around, you know, just the past couple months or something. Just stupidity. What's going on there? And and so we want to make sure that if if we're suffering, we're not suffering because of stupid things that we do, but if we're suffering, it may be because we've done something stupid and God is disciplining us for it. And he's a loving father. He doesn't let us get away with stuff. What loving father lets their child get away with things that they're being disobedient in? Now he can have mercy on them and he explain to them and that mercy is long and enduring with our God and that's great. I think that's fantastic. And he speaks to us gently and he, he lets us know that look this is going to cause harm and if you keep this up there's going to have to be discipline coming along. And so God says, you know, if you're suffering It might be because of discipline, and that's how you're supposed to consider it. It's like discipline. Seven, we might endure suffering because God is planning to bless us. In Job chapter 5, verse 17, Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Just think how blessed your life will be after you have endured discipline and you have learned the proper things from it from that point on you are blessed and that's what God is after so if it comes as a result of disobedience God ultimately has a blessing in mind for us and we need to pay attention to that and not turn to him and say this is just not fair now we are on That was number seven, correct? Because God is planning to bless us. Uh, What kind of attitude should we have in the face? I'm looking for the right page here. I don't have them numbered for some reason. Hold on. Ah, there we are. What kind of attitude should we have in the face of suffering? Well, we're supposed to have a focus on the future. Paul the Apostle did this. I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 18. He wrote here, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. And he's talking about him and his ministry and those who are with him. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So he has his focus on the future. You know, I like this verse 17 in Second Corinthians chapter 4. That is the one that Pastor Drew used when he got back from Cambodia, I think Africa, and he had a pretty troubling case of malaria. And he said, well, this is just a light and momentary trouble, is what he called it. And I never want malaria, if you know what malaria is all about. I don't want that. But he kept his focus on the future. Secondly, what kind of attitude should we have in, facing, in the face of suffering? One of perseverance. That's number two. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 says, You sympathize with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done all the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And so he calls us to just kind of bear down and gut through it as best as we can, and he'll give you strength to do this. I've used an illustration in the past. I used to work for the number one calf roper in the United States, and that was when I was 19 years old, and he would take me out to his place in uh, Desert Hot Springs, and he had this spread out there, and he had this corral, and he put this electric fence around this corral, and he'd stick his uh, uh, healer into this corral area, and he kept on digging out underneath. And this healer, what he would do, uh, since he put this electric fence to keep him from digging out, is he'd dig out and then he'd get shocked. You guys ever grabbed one of those things? I mean, it's a shocking experience, right? Well, this dog would get underneath there and it would be a pulse. And when the pulse hit him, he would just go mm, like that. And he'd keep digging. And then the pulse would hit him again and he'd yelp a little bit and he kept on doing that until he got all the way out so he would endure several shocks as they would pulse into his body but he persevered until he got through to the other side and that's kind of what God would have us do he'd have us persevere even though we are attacked once we are attacked twice and it keeps on coming know that it's for God's glory we want to make sure that we are persevering just as he said we should that there is a future hope in store for us we are also to endure patiently to the angel of the church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 these are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of David what he opens no one can shut and what he shut no one can open you'll see I've placed before you an open door and no one can shut I know that you have little strength, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be the Jews are of the Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. So just as this healer dog was persevering, he was patient during the suffering, and then he would climb a little more through the bottom of the fence same thing with us we're to be patient and persevere number four know that he chose to deliver us or he that he may choose to deliver us from suffering at any time when you are done with a trial what does it feel like 
Like, if you've had a severe case of the flu where you cannot sleep, you are achy all over, no matter what you do to try to relieve it, you can't relieve it, but the first day that you are able to sleep and you wake up and you just go, oh, such a relief to be out the other side. Or you've gotten an injury and the injury is severe and it hurts and maybe they had to do surgery of some kind. You know, once you get to the other side where the pain finally dissipates and you go, oh, it's so much better just not to hurt. You know, that that's the type of thing that God can relieve us at any time and God willing he will do so and but sometimes he chooses not to but we're supposed to continue to persevere but know that he can just relieve our suffering he can take away the pain he did so many miracles uh, the paralytic who was healed the person who was blind who spit on the ground and made mud and stuck it and here's mud in your eye and he healed him as well and when the woman's issue of blood when it was gone it was like oh, relief so God can do that. He may choose not to, like in the case of Paul and his thorn in the flesh, but know that he can. Uh, number five, know that he may not choose to deliver us from the suffering at all. And I just mentioned that. Uh, Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but yet not my will but yours be done. That should be our attitude as we're enduring patiently knowing that he may not remove it from us. And if he doesn't, well, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, according to the book of Job. Sixth, understand that we have the privilege of suffering from, no, it should be for God. Understand that we have the privilege of suffering for God. God has granted us this privilege, according to the book of Philippians, that if we fall into suffering for him specifically, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggles that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if you're suffering for Christ, and I believe this would be the case of those who are in the Middle East that are Christians, they're suffering for the sake of Christ. And Christ consider it, considers it a privilege that they suffer for his name, even for the sake of death. And God will reward them for their suffering. I believe the more that we suffer in this life for the name of Christ, for his sake, the greater our reward in heaven. If you are martyred for the sake of Christ, your reward will be huge in heaven. That's not an encouragement to go to the Middle East and become a martyr. Uh, the Lord wants to use you, but if the unfortunate incident comes up where you would lose your life, know this, that the God of heaven will reward you in a tremendous way. Seven, true believers will never lose hope in the face of suffering. Now, Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is his spirit. True believers, you will always have this hope as far as salvation is concerned. You will not lose that. You may doubt at some point, well, God, are you really there? I, I just don't know. But that hope that you have will carry you through. Now, I need to clarify this a little bit. 
you believe in Jesus Christ and the hope of the salvation that he has granted to you and then you find yourself in a tremendous bout of suffering if you don't deny Christ I don't believe you can deny Christ if you have the spirit of God in you but you may have this huge question mark where is God in the midst of this suffering I don't see your hand in that way you may have this tremendous doubt that shows up but the hope that you first professed will carry you through and God knows how to deliver us from trials even as to the point of you know these people in the Middle East who are dying I believe sometimes it's a relief that they end up losing their lives because God just takes them into glory and I do believe that there is a time that can become so severe that you cannot see God you, you don't know where he is and that's where we as fellow believers are supposed to come in and assist them we are to encourage them whatever way we can but the hope that we first had will carry us through even though through those darkest times you guys know the 23rd Psalm yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me thou preparest a table and before me in the presence of mine enemies thou anointest my head with oil my cup runneth over surely goodness and loving kindness or mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and that was in David's one of David's darkest times and so that's what we want to put our faith hope and trust in is in our Savior it can get bad but that hope will carry us through the first hope that we've had number eight we should endure suffering for the sake of others second Timothy chapter 2 verse 8 says remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended from David this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal but God's word is not chained therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that was Paul's motivation for the sake of others who are witnessing what he was going through he endured and finally we're at the top of the hour here know that God speaks to us in the midst of suffering Job 36:15. but those who suffer he delivers in their sufferings he speaks to them in their affliction so if you're ever suffering turn to God he is speaking we just don't always hear correctly now do you guys or clearly do you guys have questions about suffering well just to wrap it up we don't suffer like the rest of the world and the suffering we endure sometimes we think it is just horrible but I praise God for the fact that we live even in this day and age that we are not somewhere in the Middle East trying to battle others just to stay alive for our faith in Christ we need to be praying for them there's a lot of suffering going on there's a lot of suffering to come we know when the Antichrist is here he will have the power to overcome the elect the Saints and they will die I believe by the thousands or by the millions and so we understand what suffering is all about trials and it is a result of sin in this life that's the first question that I asked you it's because we have fallen but God gives us that free will in our fallenness and so we bring the suffering upon ourselves and it also is a judgment that is upon this world and so we can walk away comforted that God has it under control even when we don't understand fully okay final questions let's pray Father, we thank you for your word, how it gives us insight into the sufferings, the trials, and the temptations. We ask that you would bless this information to our memories, that we would not quickly forget it. 
And may we be able to disseminate it to others when they are going through trials and suffering. Father, I want to lift up this one family that I mentioned. I don't remember their names, but you know what's going on. I pray that you would heal the wife. I pray that you would give the husband a job and give them all a place to live, Lord. If there's anything that we can do, I pray that you would make us aware of it. But in their own circles, I pray that you would bring people forward, first of all, family members and friends, to assist them, Lord, to help relieve their suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for coming.